This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. In this episode, I want to look at a passage from the book of Psalms. We're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 1. And before we get into it, I want to let you know a little bit about what's going on there. Because David wrote the majority of almost all of the first 40 chapters of the book of Psalms. But chapter 1 and chapter 2 were chapters that were inserted and kind of set up to start the book of Psalms that would give sort of an introduction, not quite, that's not the exact right way to think about it, but a setup for what's to come. So all through the book of Psalms, David and the other psalmists express emotion. Sometimes it's really high highs, and sometimes it's really low lows. They talk about the real stuff that they're going through and dealing with and worrying about and angry about and excited about. And at the very beginning of this book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 1 sets up sort of the outline in some ways, but not exactly, for what's going to come in the remainder of the book. So it's setting up before all the praise and worship and raw honesty that we know and love the book of Psalms for. There's this really clear distinction between what it looks like to walk in step with God, what it looks like to follow his path, contrasted with what it looks like to do life our own way, not God's way. And so what I want to do is just read the entirety of Psalm chapter 1 and then go back through and break down some of the key things that are in here that I think, even though this was written long, long, long ago, things that I think really speak to where we are in life today. So it opens. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And I'm guessing that as you hear that chapter, you probably notice that it seems almost too simplistic, right? That it's like, okay, for people who walk in step with God, everything goes good? Uh, You know, there's this line at the end of verse 3, whatever they do prospers. But then at the end of this chapter, the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And we can hear that and go, 
okay, that almost sounds like a formula. So I just do A plus B equals C. If I love God and follow God, add to that, God's going to bless me. The outcome is life's going to be perfect. And then if that's true, then the opposite is also true. Well, obviously we know that life doesn't work like that, right? This is a poem all through the book of Psalms. These are uh, chapters and an entire book of poetry. And so this isn't intended to communicate, like I said before, this scientific formula of, okay, if I do this, 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 then here's my outcome. This is talking about, in general, what it looks like to follow and live life God's way and in general, what it looks like to do life our own way. And, you know, I think I I just want to add to that, you know, there are people who are tempted to think, man, if I'm serving and living in line with what God wants me to do, then everything's going to go great for me. But if we look through Scripture and if we really seriously think about the lives of the men and women who faithfully served and loved God, the people that we think of as examples of faith, as the people that we should look up to and emulate the way that they continually loved and served and were devoted and surrendered to God, we see that that didn't mean that their lives were perfect. In fact, it often meant the opposite in a lot of ways. There were some tough, tough things that came the way of these people who were devoted to serving after God. So we need to get out of our minds this super simplistic, okay, this is just a formula, because instead the psalmist here is trying to communicate this idea that living life the right way is better. That living life God's way is the best way to live life. And so when this chapter starts off and says, blessed is the one who does not walk and then goes through this list of the three things that someone who's blessed, someone who's righteous, doesn't do, that word at the beginning there, blessed or blessed, it really is communicating more like blessings on top of blessings, like multiple blessings. Or another way that some people have translated it is to say happy is the one who's living life in line with what God teaches. And so, like I say, it's this idea that's laying out and saying, okay, there's a better way to live and it's God's way. And those who live that way find that they're experiencing blessings. Now, it's not going to always translate into the way we want it to be blessings, right? But it's going to be blessings. So blessed is the one. Happy is the one. Blessings on top of blessings for the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Now, it's not immediately clear 
when we read this the first time, it definitely wasn't for me. This was something that as I was doing some study on this, I realized that there's a progression here. The first step, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked. That's the first step in the progress. Step two, or stand in the way that sinners take. Step three, or sit in the company of mockers. Now, I want to talk about this progression a little bit because we all know the feeling of finding ourselves in the middle of some bad habit, in the middle of some pattern of thinking or acting or viewing the world or treating other people. And we say to ourselves, man, how did I get here? Because the two years ago version of me would be so ashamed of myself. I, I wouldn't even recognize, like, I'm, I'm against this way of thinking or acting or living or whatever it is that you can connect with there. And I know that we've all found ourselves there. And it doesn't just happen one day where you wake up and you're like, you know, today I think I'm just going to do the complete opposite of what I wanted to do yesterday, of what I thought would be living a good life yesterday. What happens instead is this progression that the psalmist talks about. So step one, we start walking in step with the wicked. Now, walking is an interesting thing, right? Because people have to get from point A to point B. And so when I think of this idea of walking in step with the wicked, I think that it's naturally step one of the progression because it gives us sort of plausible deniability, right? It's like, well, I, I needed to walk from here over to the place that I was going. And, oh, it just turned out that some people that were doing life a different way than the way I want to be doing life, oh, they're walking that same path too. And, yeah, I guess I'm spending time around these people, but, you know, it wasn't really on purpose. It was something I, you know, it just sort of happened. For me, what this looks like is, I, like I've shared with you before, I am a huge NBA basketball fan. I love watching games. I always get the NBA league pass, and I watch a lot of basketball. Well, one of the tough things about being a big fan like this, I live in the Eastern time zone, and games start, the games that are out on the West Coast, they start at 10.30 Eastern. And games usually are two and a half-ish hours. Sometimes they can go three hours. So that's putting me at, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning, 1.30. Sometimes if it's crazy, they might run even a little bit later than that. And what happens sometimes with me, because... Obviously, my wife is not a crazy person, and she's not up at 1 or 1.30 in the morning. She's has to be at work at 8, so she's sleeping regular schedule. I'm just the one up there awake by myself. And what it looks like for me to start walking in step with the wicked, as the psalmist says it, 
to start walking off the path a little bit where I can still have plausible deniability, right? It's like, oh, wait, what just happened there? What I'll start doing at 1, 1.30 in the morning is just kind of start scrolling through the channels on my TV. And I just go up, 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 you know, under the guise I can say, right? Well, I'm just trying to see what else is on. But I know, I'm fully aware of the fact that Showtime and Cinemax and HBO at 1 in the morning, there's a pretty good chance that it's basically softcore porn, right? That's on these channels. And I can start scrolling up, scrolling up, scrolling up, and oh, wow, look look at that. You know, I can pretend to be surprised. I, I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was trying to accidentally, quote unquote, run into, right? But this is what it looks like to walk. This is where the progression starts. And we know the feeling when we're putting ourselves in this position. We know the feeling of that pinprick of our conscience. We know the feeling of our heart starts to beat faster. And the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate and get our attention. And I I don't think remind us is the right word, but because we know obviously that what we're doing is something that we shouldn't be doing, but to try to convict us and say, hey, that's that's not God's way, right? Now, what we do often in that moment, right, after we've made a choice, which, by the way, I want to talk about that for a little bit because it's really easy after we make a choice of something that we know is not healthy, that we know is not right, that we know is not in line with God's word and the way that he invites us to live, we can really easily find ourselves saying, man, I don't know how that happened. I, I didn't want to do that. I don't even know how I found myself here. And when we say that, I don't, I don't think that we're doing it intentionally, but we're lying to ourselves. Because if we're actually honest, when we do the unhealthy things that are, we tend toward, that for me, when I quote-unquote accidentally scroll up through some of these movie channels in the middle of the night, knowing full well what's on those channels in the middle of the night, there was nothing accidental. There was nothing that I wasn't wanting or trying to do. But we sort of lie to ourselves and then I think to the people around us by extension, say, well, that's not what I wanted to do. But we know full well that in the moment, it is what we wanted to do. Now, it's maybe not what we want for the big picture. It's not what we want to do all the time. It's not what we want our lives to be all about. But in that moment, we made that choice, right? Things don't passively, accidentally happen like that more than one time. And if it keeps happening to keep saying, well, that's not what I wanted to do. I don't really know how that happened. I think that that's dishonest. And I think 
we miss out on growth opportunities if we go on trying to pretend like, oh, I, don't, I don't understand what, what keeps happening here. Something's taking me over. No, you're, you're doing, I'm doing what I want to do in the moment. And then I regret it and try to rewrite history a little bit. So that's what it looks like for me. But I think for some of us, other people that are listening, it can look different ways. And I think for some people who, if your natural struggle with temptation is more of a struggle with anger or more of a struggle with negativity or bitterness or sarcasm, I think it can be easy to kind of brush it off and explain it away by saying, hey, I'm just reacting how I feel in the moment. I'm just being real. I'm just being my honest, authentic self. You know, sorry if it comes across to you that way, but I'm just being me. Right? I think that's what it sometimes looks like to start walking this path. As the psalmist says, to walk in step with the wicked. Now that word wicked, it might feel too strong, right? But that's that's the really tricky part about the first step of this progression. That as we're walking, we're not, you know, it's not an extended period of time. It's nothing that we're like, man, this is my new habit in my life. We've got plausible deniability. No, that's not what I was trying to do. And I think of another thing of, um, I'm guessing that some people that are listening right now, you have somebody, whether it's at work or a neighbor or, you know, one of the parents of uh, your kid's friend or something, where you're communicating with them, you're texting them or you're messaging them on some other uh, sort of an app or network or whatever the case may be, and you're keeping the conversation totally innocent, totally innocuous, innocuous, totally legitimate, but you know that you're keeping that conversation going more than you would with somebody else because you're attracted to this person in some way, right? And you know they're not your spouse, but you text this person back and you keep this conversation going because you enjoy how it feels when you get a message back from them. When you know that they're thinking about you and they're intentionally in conversation and contact with you, you know that it's like, ooh, hey, I like that little jolt of electricity because I enjoy their attention because I'm attracted to this person in some way. And like I say, you it would be... A, contact with them for a totally innocent reason, complete plausible deniability. But you know in the back of your mind, part of what's going on here is you want to keep the conversation going because there's a little bit of a spark and you enjoy that. I think that's what it looks like to start walking, as the psalmist says. And then the next step in this progress is blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. And then he says, or stand in the way that sinners take. So now there's movement from walking, which is just, hey, we just happen to be going from point A to point B at the same time. 
there's this plausible deniability to standing, becoming a little bit more comfortable living in this moment, living in this habit, living in this pattern of thinking. And, you know, there's something that as people study the brain and study the way that we think, something that they call uh, neural pathways. And what that is, is after we've done something over and over and over and over again, it becomes a lot easier to do that same thing another time. This is why people practice, you know, for me, this is why I hear a lot about people, professional NBA athletes that go to the gym and they shoot or if they're really fanatical, they try to make a thousand shots every single day, right? Because they know if they practice keeping that elbow in and going straight up and following through perfectly, it teaches their brain, okay, this is what we do. And if they do that over and over and over, then when it comes time to shoot a big shot in a big moment of the game, their mind and their body naturally knows how to do this thing, right? Because they've done it so many times. And it creates this kind of groove in our brains when we do something over and over and over. Which is cool if it's the right way to shoot a basketball, or if it's the right way to swing a golf club, or if it's the right way to do whatever your hobby is. But when it comes to getting more and more comfortable, creating a deeper and deeper groove in the sense of living in negativity and anger and bitterness and sarcasm and being a jerk to the people around us, when that groove gets built deeper and deeper and being more and more comfortable having an emotional connection that we know is not appropriate with someone who's not our spouse, when it becomes more and more comfortable to linger on Cinemax or Showtime in the middle of the night with this softcore porn, or when it becomes more and more comfortable to pull up that website that we know isn't going to do anything but harm to us, to our relationship with God, to our relationship with our spouse, we find ourselves standing in that spot. And then the progression goes, continues. And the psalmist says, blessed are those who don't do those first two things. And the third one is, or sit in the company of mockers. So what happens here in step three is we're sitting, kind of setting up shop and saying, you know what? I'm so comfortable here that I'm just going to plop down. I'm, I'm planning on staying for a while. And I think at that point, that little pinprick that we talked about earlier, our conscience, the Holy Spirit communicating, hey, this is not okay. This is not where you should be right now. I think by the time we start to sit, that we've either completely dulled that sense that we have of, no, this isn't right, or we've learned how to carefully sort of tune that out. And what the psalmist is getting at here 
is a progression that if we're honest, we all know maybe, hopefully, the beginning of this progression only, right? And we don't know, hopefully, what it feels like to get further and further down this road, but sometimes we do, right? And so then there's this contrast. Blessed is the one who doesn't do these three things, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Now, when I read that passage, this idea about the tree, the person who doesn't walk in these ways and then sit eventually, but instead who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on that, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. And I hear that, and it's probably just me. This is a weird thing, but I don't have really great positive emotions and experiences connected to trees. When I think of trees, I remember the first house that I bought, the house that I moved out of, I don't know, six, eight months ago, somewhere in there. And I think of the fact that we had this tree in our backyard that, by the way, I don't know anything about trees, right? So Annalise and I, we decided that we were going to take some of the leaves from this tree and we were going to create like a mulch. We were going to build this raised garden in our backyard. We have not had good luck. I think I've talked about it before. We haven't had good luck with actually growing stuff, but we decided, okay, we're going to go all in. We're going to try to mulch this, these old leaves and old dirt and roots and whatever, you know, Annalise looked it up online. I just kind of did what I was told. And I went and I got probably 40 cinder blocks and built up this raised garden we were going to have in the backyard. And we let these leaves decompose over a winter and we dumped them in the base of this raised garden. And then we saw that some of the branches on our tree were swaying a little too much in the wind in storms. So I called someone to come out and take a look at it. And he said, okay, your tree has, and he named some disease. I don't know what it was. He said, you see some of these leaves that have these little black spots on them. He said, that's the disease. And when these leaves fall, if you don't rake them up pretty quick, if they disintegrate and some of them get down into the soil near the base of the tree, the tree is actually poisoning itself with its own leaves because the disease now goes from the branches it was in, falls and makes it into the root system of the tree. And then it's re-poisoning itself from its own disease and making it even worse. I said, okay, so these leaves are pretty far gone, huh? he's like, yeah. I said, well, we used them (laughs) as mulch for this raised garden thing. He's like, yeah, nothing's going to grow in that. And we had to pay a bunch of money to get some of those limbs cut down. And then we moved to our new house. And there's a really beautiful tree right maybe 10 or 20 feet right outside of our back door. 
And I did, didn't think much of it. You know, it's like, hey, it's a tree. That's nice. But because like I've shared before, the house renovation, we had a lot of work that we did at this place and the house sat empty for, I don't know, four months, four and a half, five months, somewhere in there. And during that time or before that time, I don't know, a handful of squirrels set up shop in this tree right outside of our backyard or right outside of our back door, which wouldn't really be that big of a deal. But my wife and I have a one-year-old puppy. And I don't know if you still call him a puppy at that point, but he acts like a puppy, so I still do. He's a little 12, 13-pound it's a, it's a dumb name for the breed, but it's called a Morky Poo. So it's a Maltese, Yorkie, and Poodle. And Russell is our little guy, and he's so cute. I'm, I'm a big Russell fan. But he has some habits that really bother me. And one of those, I would say one of the top ones that really bothers me, is these squirrels that live in our backyard we can't decide if he either really hates them or he really loves them, but he wants to get outside and chase squirrels any opportunity that he gets. So when we get to the back door, I've got him hooked up on his harness and his leash, and when he knows I'm about to open it, he crouches down. Like, he's not sitting, he's not laying. He crouches down, he gets in this, like, sprinter stance because he knows as soon as that door opens, he's going to, boom, shoot out there like a rocket because he's going for these squirrels. And he knows reliably there's going to be some squirrels back there. And he takes off sprinting after him. He's not much of a hunter, right? He's not stalking. He's not slow and careful and, you know, sneaking up on it. He just, boom, he takes off. And so now I don't only think of trees as something that's going to be dead and poison itself and poison my other plants and cost me a bunch of money to get it trimmed and cut up. But now at this new place, I've got squirrels in my trees. So when I think of trees, I don't have a lot of positive thoughts that come to my head. So it's like, okay, who wants to be a person like a tree planted by streams of water? That doesn't sound that good. But if we think for a moment of people in the ancient world, they're living in places with obviously no central air conditioning, right? So the shade that a tree can provide to be outside where you can enjoy the breeze if there's some while you're sitting in the shade, that's pretty amazing. That's a great place to find respite from direct sun in the middle of heat. Also, tree which yields its fruit in season. The psalmist writes, these were not people who could just drive by the local grocery store and buy a bag of apples or a bag of oranges or a pint of whatever other thing you can think of that you can just pull right off of a tree. They had to wait until it was season for these trees to produce their fruit and then they got to enjoy. And so when the psalmist writes, about a person who's like a tree planted by streams of water, there's not only this idea of permanence and security and stability, but there's also this idea that there are other benefits connected 
with trees, right? And right after this line, he says, uh, whatever they do prospers. We talked about that already. That's not as simplistic as it sounds. This is a poem that's talking about what it looks like to live in line with God. But then he makes this contrast. He says, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. And chaff, you probably have at least heard that idea just because it's in Scripture so many times. But what it is, is sort of the husk that's around the outside of the seeds of grain, wheat, barley, that kind of stuff that is so unsubstantial that it's just like this tiny little shell that you can just break with your fingers. And if you were then to take the seeds of the grain and throw them up in the air, if there's any wind at all, the wind is going to blow this chaff away because it is so not consequential, right? It doesn't have very much substance to it at all. And so there's this contrast that a righteous life, that person, their life is like a tree. It's secure, it's steady, it's stable. The roots are put down. And a person who's living their own way, not God's way, like chaff, the total opposite of stable and secure and long-lasting. And we know that this is true, don't we? From the times that we've lived life with something to hide, that we've tried to come across one way to the people around us, but in the back of our minds we know yeah, but that's not really what I'm like. And we spend time, way more time than we'd ever care to admit, worrying, man, I wonder what's going to happen if my husband or my wife finds out about the real me. I wonder what's going to happen if my kids or my boss or my neighbors or, for me, the people I'm preaching and speaking to, what would happen if they found out the real me. And that, I think, is what the psalmist is getting at when he writes about the wicked being like chaff because they they don't have this integrity, which is um, when what we say we're doing and what we're doing line up together. When it's, uh, you know, there's the word... Uh, integrity also in math there's the idea of an integer which is a whole number a number that's not divided when we live life with integrity we live a life that's not divided between what we're doing and what we're saying between how we act in one environment with one group of people and how we act around another group of people we're not living life with this Um, two-facedness. We're not living a secret life where we've got one thing going on in the background, but we don't want people to know about that. And when we've lived that way before, for short periods of time or long periods of time, we know how jarring it is to go through life 
on this unsteady foundation. Trying to live and hope that what you're doing or what you've done or whatever the case may be doesn't catch up with you. Nobody finds out about what's really been going on. And then verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. And a better way to translate that would be, for the Lord enjoys or the Lord cherishes the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And we know that that's true, don't we? It's the same kind of idea as this comparison between the tree and the chaff. We know that when we live life a way that's not God's way, that's the wrong way to live, we find that the chaos just multiplies because we make one bad decision to cover up the consequences from our previous bad decision. And next thing you know, we're just thinking we're getting ourselves out of something, but we're actually just digging a deeper and deeper and deeper hole. And so this warning at the beginning of this chapter is to avoid this whole progression of walking, standing, sitting, of becoming more and more comfortable, more and more familiar, more and more at home, living life our own way instead of God's way. And so the reminder from this passage is really simple and it's really straightforward. Are there some spots in our lives where we've become a little bit more comfortable walking a little bit of a different path, walking in step, as the psalmist says, with the wicked? Because that's the beginning of this progression of getting more and more and more off of God's path and more and more and more onto our own path. And it becomes easier and easier and easier the more we do it. So the reminder and the challenge here is if there's a spot where you're like, man, six months ago me or two years ago me or teenage me, I think was a little more right on with their morals than today me. And that means some things need to change. I need to get back on God's path because I've been living this splintered life, this disconnect between what I say I'm all about and the way I'm actually living, between the way that God invites me to live, the best way to live, and the way that I've chosen to do my thing. So if there's a disconnect there, I want to encourage you, whether you find yourself walking or standing or sitting in this place where you realize this isn't what I want for my life. I wanted to do it. That's why I'm here. But it's not what I want for the rest of my life. I want to get back on God's path. Ask him for help. He's waiting. I mean, we, we've talked about it over and over here. God is not waiting for us to confess and ask for forgiveness 
so he can rub it in our face and punish us and be excited that we screwed up, but so that he can welcome us home, so that he can celebrate, so that he can enjoy that this person who was lost and far away and gone is coming back home. That's how our Father in heaven is ready and waiting and excited to greet us. So let's stop walking off the path. Let's stop doing our own thing. And let's run back toward him.